Everyone has a story. Some people have a story worth telling. Some people have stories they would rather not tell. The decisions you make today will determine the stories you tell tomorrow. A successful life is not made up of a few big decisions, but of hundreds and hundreds of small ones. What will your story be? My story, living the story you want to tell. All right, well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. So. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, for those of you who don't know, my name is Nick Olson, and I want to introduce my wife, Tara. She's with me this morning. So, Tara, if you want to stand up really quick. So, this is my lovely wife. So, we're excited to be here, and uh, I know she's really hot. I know. So, I'm a lucky man. Um, but for those who don't know, so I'm Nick Olson. My wife, Tara, we are the very first church plant to be sent out of this Orchard Church here in Brighton. And so it's, it's crazy to think, I was just talking to some people that um, I remember, there's a lot of new faces, but just talking about three years ago, um, we were meeting with our little launch team at the ministry center, just a, a group of like 10, 15 of us, just getting the ball rolling, and then we went out, and so we had our launch, uh, our grand opening launch day about two and a half years ago, and so we went out with a little over 20 with our launch team, and, and now we're running close to 150 now, so God's doing some great things, and we've seen uh, 70 professions of faith so far, which is great since we've been out there. So God's doing some really, really cool things, seeing a lot of people getting involved in discipleship and small groups, so um, really cool stuff. We're looking to be self-supported um, by January, this coming January, so a lot of church plants fail because they never make it to that point, and so we're right on the, uh, the cusp of that, and our, we're going to make it, it looks like, to be self-supported in January. So that's a great, great thing. So we're super excited about that. And uh, one other thing, if I, if I can encourage you guys to be praying with us about, um, ever since we started the church, we've been meeting in an elementary school. <clears throat> and so every single Sunday, we have a ton to set up. So we've always been jealous, a righteous jealous, okay, not a bad jealous, of the setup here because it's so great. But we got to set up everything. And so we've been doing that. It's a lot of work um, to pull it off in an elementary school. And so, uh, but by the end of this coming summer, hopefully by September, Erie High School is going to be opening up for us. And so we're looking on making a move there. It's going to be a little more expensive with rent and stuff. So we're just praying that God will provide that. Um, but it's a very similar setup to what it's like here. And so we're looking to have that opportunity happen um, by September. So that's really exciting. Gives us room to grow and just a whole lot easier with setup and all that stuff. So we're very excited about those opportunities. But just to give you a heads up, God's doing some really cool things. And it's really neat to see 
Orchard's influence spread past just here, but into other communities, right? Isn't that neat to see that happen? God's word being spread, decisions being made. And, but also not just here and in Erie, but also to see that continue to happen as we plant more churches. But what a great vision. What a cool thing to be a part of. Amen? So uh, great things, right? So we give God a hand for all the things that are happening. We're praising for it. But again, uh, we're, we're super excited to be here. It's been a year since I've been here last. So when Doug asked me to come, I, I jumped at the opportunity. been looking forward to it. And so today what I talk to you about is my story, talking about your story, living the story that you want to tell. Um, I just want to give you a heads up that God has great things in store for you. God is the author and finisher of our faith. And, and when you were born, man, God's got a story. He's, he's got something that he wants to do in and through your life. And he wants to do it in such a powerful way that it will become a story that you just can't wait to tell other people that may not know Christ. And he's got plans for you, plans of greatness and a, a, an amazing story that he wants to do in your life and through your life to influence other people that are around you. And so God's got that plan. And, and how do we get to that story that we want to tell? And maybe some of you here this morning, you're kind of checking out this whole Christ following thing. Is it for you? Maybe some of you are a follower of Christ and have been for a time, but you look at your life and be like, man, you know what? I just don't see God doing great things in my life to have this amazing story, but I want you to know that he has that in store for you. That's his plan for your life. But how do we get that story? How does that story happen in our life and what keeps it from happening? So to get there, we're going to look at the life of Moses. So I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at. That's the text we're going to be in. We're going to jump around a couple different chapters, but that's where we're going to start. And we're going to talk about the story of Moses from the very beginning. We're going to look at the story of Moses and, and what his story looked like. So what I like about Moses is he's a very relatable guy. All right, Moses isn't this super studly man, right? Um, and, and when God begins to speak to Moses and kind of lays out, this is the plan that I have, most people thought, why would God even choose to use a guy like Moses? And Moses even struggled with that, thinking, you know what, is this really the right thing? God, is there some other plan that would be better? I'm just not really sure I'm the right guy for this. And so he struggled with that. But as God began to work in Moses' life, he decided to get involved in God's plan. And because he decided to get involved in God's plan, his story completely changed. And because his story completely changed, here we are today talking about his story. And God wants to do the exact same thing through all of us. And so he ends up being a perfect example of how to get from where we are to being able to have the story that God has destined for us, a story of transformation, influence, and impact that he desires for every single one of us. And, and you know, I really would hope that that's what you would desire for your life, right? I'll be honest, that's what I desire for my life. I want God to use me. I want God to do a work in my life to transform me to be a light to other people that are apart from him. I want God to use me to make a difference in those that surround me. I want my story to be one that I can't wait to tell others, not of my greatness, but of the greatness that God has done in and through me. And I hope that's what you would desire for yours. And I want to let you know that, that that's what God desires for you. That's absolutely what God desires for you. So let me give you a little bit of background before we start reading Exodus chapter 2 of this life of Moses and his story. Moses was born in a very difficult time. Um, it was towards the end of Genesis and Exodus that Joseph had led the Israelites to, to get to Egypt. And then Joseph ended up dying. And for 400 years, the Egyptians had enslaved 
all of the Israelites, right? They've been held captive there for 400 years now that Joseph's dead, that they've been trapped there, they've been enslaved there. And so during this time, Pharaoh had, had this fear growing on in his heart. And the fear was this, the Israelites and the Hebrew people were really growing. Their population was massively increasing. And so Pharaoh started to get worried because he was worried that these slaves would end up, their population being bigger than the Egyptians and they were going to overtake them. And so he didn't want anything to do with that. So Pharaoh, because of his fear, came up with a plan. And Pharaoh's plan was, was he was going to have a decree go out. And the decree was this, is that every Hebrew, their firstborn male child, they were going to have to take them and drown them, throw them in the Nile, and drown them. That was the decree that went out. So every firstborn male child, every male child that was born, take them, throw them in the Nile, and drown them. That was the decree. They signed it. It went out. So every male child that was born, that had to happen. Well, Moses was born in the midst of all of that. So Moses is born, and his, and his mother obviously doesn't want to and is not jumping at the opportunity to throw her son into the Nile. And so what she decides to do is she decides to hide him for a time. And as she hides them, all the other Hebrew women are throwing their male children into the Nile and drowning them. And they're like, you know what? This is not fair. We have to do it. You should have to do it too. And so Moses' mom begins to worry the fact that they're getting upset. Someone's going to find out. And if they find out, they're not only going to kill Moses, but they're going to continue to kill our entire family. So I have got to do something. So what she does is she comes up with this plan. She makes a basket and she puts Moses in the basket and takes the basket and puts it on the Nile. So somewhat obeying what Pharaoh had asked her to do, puts the basket in there and it begins to float down the Nile. And Moses' sister kind of chases it down, runs down alongside of it. And, and the basket goes and it ends up coming to where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. And so as Pharaoh's daughter is bathing, she hears this noise and her slaves, she asks her slaves to go and check it out. So they go, they find this basket and bring it to Pharaoh's daughter. And so she opens the basket, looks in it and notices that it's a male Hebrew child. Knowing the decree, knowing that this child should be dead, but she decides to adopt Moses. So you got to get this picture, this background is so important that Moses, who is a Hebrew child who should be dead, is now the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. That's a tremendous thing. That's not a coincidence. That's a God thing. Okay, he is now the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. And so for 40 years, he grows up in the house of the enemy. That's Moses' life up to this point. God had a tremendous plan for Moses. Like I said, this is not a coincidence. God had his fingerprints all over this to go to Pharaoh's daughter and be the adopted grandson of Pharaoh himself. And he grows up in the palace. So God had this plan for Moses. And God has a plan for you and I. God has a great plan. So I think when it comes to our story and wanting to have a story that we want to tell, a story of, of what God's done in us and through us, We've got to be involved in God's plan for that to happen. We have got to be involved in God's plan for that to happen. So here's my question this morning. What is it that makes us miss God's plan? Because I would venture to say that most followers of Christ and most people, even outside, having a relationship with him is part of that plan. And there's so many people that are missing that part of that plan. But even those who have placed their faith in Christ are still missing the plan. They're still not involved in that plan and having God write their story. So what is it in our life that makes us miss God's plan? 
Well, the story of Moses tells us four things of what it is that makes us miss his plan. And the first thing that it shows us is this, is that if we are too busy with our plan, we will miss God's plan. If we are too busy with our plan, we are going to miss God's plan. So here's Moses, a Hebrew, has grown up in the palace of the Pharaoh. And so he knows very well how the Hebrew people are mistreated and abused and enslaved. And he knows that. And he struggles with that. And he wonders, well, why isn't God stepping in and saving them? If the Hebrew people, the Israelites, are God's people, why isn't God saving them and delivering them? Why are they being tortured and punished and killed and enslaved? Where is God and why isn't God saving them? Why isn't God acting? Why isn't things happening quicker? I don't understand that and he struggles with this. So Moses comes to a point where he says, you know what, God, you're not doing what I think you should be doing. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step in and save the day. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. So Exodus chapter 2, we're going to look at what exactly is Moses' plan. So we're going to look at verse 11. And it says this, Now it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you have killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. So Moses then runs off and lives in exile for a time. So you may get the moment though here and what's going on. Moses is struggling. He looks on seeing another one of his Hebrew brethren being beaten, and he's struggling with this. And he's like, why isn't God delivering these people? And you can almost sense that maybe Moses has been praying for God to step in. Maybe Moses has been just crying out, God, please just deliver them, save them, do something act on this. Why are you letting this happen? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. God, why aren't you doing something? And he's praying and he's calling out to God and nothing's happening and God is not acting quick enough. And so Moses says, fine, I'm going to come up with my own plan. Here's my plan. And you can sense that Moses' plan is this. If one man can just stand up against the Egyptians, if one man can just say, you know what, I'm done with this, I'm taking a stand, and I'm going to go up against these guys, and this is over, I'm not going to let them overtake us anymore, I'm done. And he's probably thinking in his head, if one man can step up and be strong enough and confident enough and stand up against these people, then maybe all the Hebrew people will pick up their shovels and sticks, and we're going to take on the most powerful Egyptian army in the world at that time. Let's go. That's his plan. And I can only imagine if Moses would have continued on with his plan, how many Hebrew people would have died? The only way that Hebrew, these Hebrew men could take up their sticks and shovels and go up against this Egyptian army and win the battle is if God showed up and, and made it happen. So you know what it's like? It's almost like spiritual blackmail is what it's like. It's like Moses is saying this, you know what, God? 
You're not acting fast enough. You're not doing what I'm praying for. I don't see you stepping up and forming a plan. I don't see you acting. I don't see you doing anything, God, and you're not doing what I think you should be doing. So here's the deal. I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. I'm going to make this happen, and I'm going to step up. But here's the deal, God. You've got to bless my plan. Because if you don't bless my plan, then a lot of people are going to die. And if you don't bless my plan, people are going to hate you, people are going to be mad at you, and people are going to turn from you. So God, this is my plan, and you better bless my plan. This is the deal. I've got a plan, and you've got to bless my plan. It's this spiritual blackmail. And I wonder how many followers of Christ have turned from God for this exact same thing. God, I'm struggling. I'm going through this difficult situation. I've got this coming up in my life. I see this happening and, and all these things that surround our life and that are in the midst of our life. And we're like, God, I don't see you doing anything. I don't see you delivering me. I don't see you coming in to save the day. I've been praying for years and you're still not doing anything. God, I don't understand what you're doing and where you're at, but I don't get it. So God, since you're not acting and you're not doing anything, here's the deal. I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to do the heavy lifting and I'm going to do what I think's best for me. And I'm going to do this. I've got a plan. And God, I need you to bless my plan. God, I need you to bless my plan. Because if you don't bless my plan and you don't bless this situation, then I tell you what, I'm going to be mad at you. I'm going to hate you. And I'm going to turn from you. You need to bless my plan. It's like the woman that decides to marry a guy and she's a follower of Christ, but he's not. And and she knows she probably shouldn't be marrying him, but she says, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway, God, because I think this is the best thing for me. So this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. But God, I tell you what, you've got to bless my plan and you've got to fix him. Right? You just got to fix him, God. Bless my plan. It's the guy who takes a job and, and even though it's, he knows it's not the right environment for him and he knows that it's going to pull him away from Sundays because, man, and Sunday, church on Sundays is a vital part of our Christian faith. It just is. It's a huge part. And if you neglect that, you're going to struggle. And he knows that, but he says, you know what? It's a great job. This is a great plan. And, and this is what I'm going to pursue. I feel like this is the best thing for me, God. So even though I know it's not a good environment, even though it's going to pull me away from you, I understand that. But God, bless my plan. And here's what I need you to, God. I just need you to give me a promotion right away so I can go back to church on Sundays. So God, that's my plan. Just bless my plan. If you can do that, that would be great. Bless my plan. How often do we do that? How often do we come up with our plan and ask God to bless our plan? This is what I'm doing. This is what I think's best. This is where I'm heading. This is what my plan is, God, and I'm asking you, bless my plan. Now, I want to share something about God's plan and why his is so much better than ours instead of asking him to bless our plan because I think we get so busy with our plan on our day-to-day -day life, we completely miss God's plan. And we're truly robbing ourselves of something great. So let me give you an example. I need, I need a volunteer, but here's, here's, if I ask for a volunteer, you cannot have been a part of the first service, okay, just to make that stipulation known. So I need a volunteer who's not part right here. Okay, come on up. Can you give her a hand really quick as she makes her way up here? So I just want to show something about why God's plan is so much better, okay? So she makes her way up. I'm going to let, get this all set up here. And so what we're going to do is, is I'm going to give her a challenge. So what's your name? Cindy? Okay. Nice to meet you, Cindy. Give Cindy a hand one more time. All right, Cindy. 
Here, here's what we're going to do. I've got all these nails, right? And so what I'm going to ask you to do is, is I want you to show us your plan, the, ble- the best plan that you have in 30 seconds to get as many of these nails stacked on top of that nail, okay? But the nails cannot touch the wood. It can only touch the top of the nail. So there's about, I don't know, 15 nails, something like that, to get as many of those nails on top of that nail without touching the wood. Does that make sense? So I want to see your plan. Are you ready? Are you excited? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, ready? I'll tell you when. 30 seconds starts now. Okay, let's go. Your plan to get as many of those nails stacked on it. I believe in you. I think that you can do this. Even if you get more than one, I'll be very impressed. First service only got... I barely got one. It looks like you got a good plan, though. It's, your, your brain's working. I mean, there. Oh, close. I'll give you one. You got. Yeah, you got one. Fifteen. You have fifteen seconds left. It's not very easy. I know. But but you get. I mean, a decent plan. I don't know if that's going to work for you. Yeah, that's probably not a good idea. That one wasn't. You know, but that's that's. Okay, all right, one nail, give her a hand. Good job. It's a tricky one, right? Okay, so what would you say if I could tell you I could get all these nails stacked on the top of that? What would you say? Um, Would you be? With God, I can, that's right. So let's pray and ask God. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, would I be your hero if I could do this? No. Oh, gosh, come on. All right, you ready? I'm I'm gonna attempt this. At least let me be your hero just for a little bit. Does that sound good? Okay, yeah, thank you. Help me get my focus. You were, you know, you had a good plan, but at the end it just didn't work out for you, so that's okay. All right, give her a hand real quick. Can you give her a hand? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Are you guys impressed? Yeah. We could just end on that and just be like, what a great day. That was an amazing thing. All right, so so here's the deal with this. The only reason that I could do that is because I have seen something that she hasn't seen. I knew something that she didn't know. So I, I I really want you to get this. I want you to understand that every single moment of your life, that God comes with that advantage. Do you get that? Every single day, every single situation, every single thing you face, every place that you're involved in, God comes with that advantage because he can see things that you don't see and he knows things that you don't know. So why in the world would we exercise our plan? when God's plan is so much better? Why would we ever say, you know what? I'm going to do my thing. I know better. This is what's best for me. I'm going to do my plan. When God's plan is so much better because he can see things and he knows things that you don't. He is the author of and finisher of your faith, your story. And he's got a great plan for you. Could it be 
that the reason that maybe you feel like you're missing God's plan is because you're too busy with your plan, that you're completely missing his. Here's the second one. If we are too busy with our plans, we will miss, see, we will miss seeing where God is at work. If we are too busy with our plans, we will miss seeing where God is at work. So here's Moses' story continues on. So he killed the Egyptian and he runs and lives in exile for 40 years. And in those 40 years, he meets a woman and marries her. And he begins to work for his father-in-law as a shepherd, okay? That's Moses' job now because he exercised his plan. He, puts, he decided to put his hand in the mix and decided, you know what, God, you're not doing your thing. I'm going to do my plan. And because he did his plan now, he's been in exile for 40 years and now he is a shepherd. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, right, that he's a shepherd. But I want you to know during that time, during that culture, a shepherd was more of a child's job. So it's like that kind of career that when you go up to somebody, hey, what do you do? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm a shepherd. I'm like, oh, man, really? That's, that stinks. That was his job. That was his career. This was a child's job. Take example, David. David was a shepherd, not any of his older brothers. It was David's job to watch over the flock because it was a child's job. So here's Moses because he decided to do his plan. It got him to this place where now for 40 years he's working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. That's what his plan got him. Not a great story. But it's about to change. His story is about to become one we can't wait to tell. His story is about to become one of influence and impact and transformation. Moses is about to say, you know what? I see where God is doing something and I'm going to step away from my plan and I'm going to join God's plan. And this is about to change. So here's Moses as he's shepherding this flock. He sees this fire and he notices the fire because he's got to protect the sheep. So he Puts, gets them away from the fire because if it spreads, it could endanger them. So as he moves them away, he looks, and it's not spreading. So he thinks, okay, well, maybe the fire will die out. But he continues to watch it, and it's not dying out. So he wonders, okay, something's not right here. Something's going on. So he travels up to inspect this fire, and he realizes that it's this burning bush and that God is in the midst of it. And God speaks out from this burning bush. And he says, Moses, take off your shoes for the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. And he realizes that God is in the midst of this. That God has a plan. And we're going to find out exactly what exactly is God's plan. So let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. And it says this, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people, who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So just to give you a heads up here in verse 7, God always knows, right? Moses, back in the beginning, thought that God completely forgot about them. God's never forgotten. And maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, God's forgotten about me. I just want to let you know God has never forgotten. Verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now behold, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
So here's God's plan. And it's completely opposite of Moses' plan, right? Moses' plan was, I've got this, I've got this, I'm in control of this, this is my plan. God, I just need you to bless my plan. But God's plan is completely opposite. God says, no, Moses, that's not how it works. Here's my plan, and I'm going to invite you to be a part of my plan. I'm going to invite you to let me write your story, to influence your story, your life. That's my plan. And it's completely opposite for the way that we live our life too, isn't it? We go through our day-to-day. This is what I got going on. This is my plan. I'm focused on my plan. This is my agenda. This is my schedule. This is what we got going on. These are the decisions we're going to make. This is our plan. And as we live our life day-to-day, it's our plan. We focus on our plan. And we get so busy with our plan that we completely miss where God is at work. And that's not how God works. He's saying, this is my plan. This is my plan. And I want you to join it. I want you to be a part of this plan that I have for you. And for us to be able to get to that point where we walk away from our plan and see God's plan, to get to that point, that is when we will start seeing our story transform and to see God do great things in us and through us. But to get there, we've got to start seeing our life through spiritual eyes. We've got to. Every day that we live, every situation, every sphere of influence, everything that we are in the midst of, that God's got a plan in everything for you. And we've got to start looking at those things through spiritual eyes. That when you go to work, it's not just your career. It's not just your thing that you go to nine to five. That God's got you there for a reason, but you're never going to realize it until you start looking through it with spiritual eyes. You look at your neighborhood and where God has placed you in. That it's not just a place for you to live. It's not just a roof over your head. That God has placed you in the midst of those people because he wants to use you as a huge influence in that. But you'll never get that unless you start looking through your life with spiritual eyes. This church and the things that God is doing here. Can I tell you this? That God has not called you here just to fill a seat. God has called you here for greatness. God has called you here to partner up, to do amazing things through him. But until you start looking at your life through spiritual eyes, you'll never get it. You'll never see it. You know, when I did youth ministry, there was a guy named Doug that came into our youth group. And this guy was completely apart from God, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And the the fact that he came to our our student ministry on a Wednesday night was a huge miracle in and of itself. And he continued to come every Wednesday and every Wednesday. And we were like, why? And I found out it was just because there were some hot girls there. And that was the only reason. That's why he came. So that's all right with me as long as he's coming, right? So anyway, so that's the reason why he came. And he continued to come and he continued to come. And, And I want to tell you that me and some of his friends looked at Doug through spiritual eyes, knowing that, wow, God's doing something here. He's coming to a place where he's learning about Jesus Christ every week. So God is doing something here. And so we started investing in Doug. We started loving on him. And as we continue to do that, we go and we hang out, we play basketball, do all these different things with him. And And as he would face situations and struggles, he'd start to ask questions and he'd start to ask for advice. He'd start coming up to the office and sit in my my office and ask for help on things. And and looking through spiritual eyes, I was like, wow, God's really doing something here. And so we started to invest, invest in him and love on him. And Doug ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ, asking him to be his forgiver and leader. And his life completely changed. And, and I got an opportunity to disciple him and to see this kid grow. And he was so excited about Jesus Christ and what he was doing in his life. And it was an amazing transformation of his story. 
after he graduated, he went to the army. And he struggled a little bit. And every time he would struggle as he was away, he would call me up and ask for advice. And it was always really cool to have those conversations with him. And then he ended up coming home for a time. And, and I remember it was, it was a week after I last talked to him, I found out that Doug had <clears throat> gone out for a run and was listening to some music, had his headphones on. And as he was running, he was running down some train tracks and he had his music really loud so he couldn't hear about it on the oncoming train. And the train hit Doug and killed him instantly. And you know, when I found out about that, I was obviously crushed, but I couldn't help but think, what if me and Doug's friends never looked at Doug with spiritual eyes? We just looked at it, hey, a guy came to youth group. And not looking at like, wow, God's doing something there. What if we never, what if we saw God at work in Doug's life, but we never joined what God was doing? Joined God's plan. And say, God's working in Doug's life, but never joined that. Where would Doug be today? But it's when you see things with spiritual eyes, and when you see God at work, that's God's invitation for you to join his plan. And when you join that, you get to see great things happen. And I thank God that Doug's worshiping our Savior every single day, right? In a great place. But that only happens when people view things with spiritual eyes, right? So to see where God is at work, you've got to start looking at your life with spiritual eyes because that's when your story begins to change. That's when your story begins to be of one of, of influence and just amazing things that God does in and through you. Well, what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? What does that look like on your day-to-day to be able to look through spiritual eyes, to be able to look at coworkers that they come up to you and they ask you about situations they're going through and they say, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this. What do you think? Just to give you a heads up, God's doing something there. When you're in your neighborhood and, and, and one of your neighbors comes up and says, man, our marriage is just struggling. We're having a difficult time or I'm having a problem raising my kid. They just started getting and I'm going through a difficult time and they're asking you for advice. Hello, God is doing something there, but if you don't see through spiritual eyes, you won't ever get it. That when you see your church go from one service to two service to three services and they're planting other churches and you're like, man, that's, God's doing something there. Be a part of that. Join hands with that. And when God sends out another church planner, man, you should be like, God, you're doing something here. How can we be a part of that? How can we help that? God is doing something. When you look through your life with spiritual eyes, that's when you get to see God do great things through your life. But could it be that we are just too busy with our plan that we completely miss seeing where God is at work? Let me give you the third thing here. That if we're too busy with our plans, then God will never be in charge. If we are too busy with our plan, then God will never be in charge. So here Moses is at this burning bush moment. He's at this burning bush moment. And and God gives him his plan, and Moses comes up with a bunch of excuses of why this isn't a great idea for him. So chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you, so he's coming up with all these excuses. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? So it's like this ADD moment, right? They're having this conversation of God's plan, then all of a sudden God switches and goes, well, whoa, what is that in your hand? Well, he says, well, it's a rod, God. You should know this, right? You're God. 
And he said, well, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So here's this interesting conversation that God is having with Moses. But I want you to understand this, that God was not interested what was in Moses' hand. God was interested in what wasn't in Moses' hand. God was more interested in what wasn't. So you got to go back to the beginning. Moses put on this basket and is sent to the daughter of Pharaoh. So now Moses in the palace of Pharaoh. He is the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. Do you understand that God had Moses primed for power? He was the adopted grandson of Pharaoh that who knows down the line could have been Pharaoh himself. And all he would have to do is sign a decree to say, let all these Hebrew people go. That's it, done. God had this plan. And it was all set up. But Moses got in the midst of it and decided to go with his own plan. You ever wonder why God, in the middle of this conversation in verse 2, just decided to say, hey, Moses, what is that in your hand? I've got this uh, scepter right here. So this is something that every ruler and every king is given a scepter. And this, this is significant because it just shows that they are a, a power. They are authority. They are ruler over people. That's what a scepter is. So this is what I want you to get, that when God asks Moses, what is that in your hand, Moses? Because it's the wrong thing. You're holding a shepherd's staff. When I had you and my plan, you should have been holding one of these. A scepter for ruling, of power. What is in your hand? Because it's the wrong thing. You traded a scepter for ruling for a shepherd's staff. You traded it and you're holding the wrong thing. So what does God say? God says this. He says, all right, Moses, you're holding the wrong thing. Throw it down. So Moses takes his staff and he throws it down and it turns into a snake. Now, well, why did it turn into a snake? Well, it turned into a snake so Moses could see for the very first time what his plan looks like in the eyes of God. Sneaky. Disgusting. Disappointing dangerous. Moses, for the first time, gets to see what his plan looks like. That wasn't my plan. That was your plan. And that's what it looks like in the eyes of God. And then God says, all right, Moses, I want you to pick it up. And I want you to pick it up by the tail. So God obviously doesn't study snakeology, you know, because you don't grab a snake by the tail, right? I don't even know if snakeology is a real word, but we're going to use it. Because you're supposed to grab a snake by the head. Otherwise, if grabbed by the tail, it's going to swing back and bite you, right? But God says, Moses, I want you to pick it up by the tail. Why would he want him to pick it up by the tail? Because up to this point, Moses has been grabbing it by the head. Moses has been calling the shots. Moses has been steering the ship. Moses has been saying, this is my plan, God. I'm going to live my life and write my story. This is my thing. This is what I'm going to do. He's got it by the head. And God says, no more, Moses. This is not the way I work. You need to throw your plan down and you need to pick it up by the tail because you're not in charge anymore. I'm in charge. I'm the leader of your life. Throw it down and pick it up by the tail. Can I ask you a question? What is in your hand this morning? What is in your hand? You say, well, you know, it's what my story, it's what my life has brought me. It's what my plan has brought me. It's where I am at because I've been chasing my plan, going after my plan. I write my story. I call the shots. I grab it by the hell the hell, okay, not by the hell, by the head. I'm calling the shots. This is my story. This is my story. 
And, and you look at your life and you think, well, this is what my plan has gotten me. And I don't want to be in charge anymore. But could it be that we are so busy with our plan that God is not in charge of our life? And that's why we miss God's plan. Last one this morning. If we're too busy with our plans, we will never be ready for God's plan. One verse to wrap this up. It's verse 20. says this, that Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. I find it very interesting in verse 20 that this is no longer Moses' staff, is it? You know what it just turned into? Ever since he threw it down and took it by the tail, guess what it became? The rod of God. Because God's in charge. God is calling the shots. God is leading Moses. It's God's plan now, not Moses' plan. So he follows it. This is the rod of God, the same rod that turns the sea into blood and parts the Red Sea and all these miracles happen. This is the rod of God. Well, why didn't God do this 40 years earlier? Can I tell you why this didn't happen 40 years earlier? Because Moses wasn't ready. God knew he had to have this time go by because he knew at this burning bush moment was going to be the best time to have this conversation with Moses, even though he argued a little bit. God knew that it was at this point in time that it was his best opportunity to win the conversation with Moses. This was his best opportunity because plan A, that's what God had in store. Plan A was him being primed in power at the palace to be raised up, to be given this opportunity to be fair, to sign a decree to let all the people go. But Moses got in the midst of that plan and ruined that plan by just coming up with his own plan. But now plan B is the burning bush. And that gives us a lot of hope. Can I tell you that? Because even though Moses, God had a plan A, He had a plan A, but Moses got in the way of it by wanting to do his own plan. And he kind of messed it up, right? But now this plan B comes up, and Moses decides, you know what? I've been doing my plan for the past 40 years, and it's done nothing good for me. I've been chasing after my plan, my story, the things that I want to do. I've been living my life. That's what I've been chasing after, and I don't like it. it, This is where it's gotten me, and I'm done with it. I'm done fooling around. I'm going to throw it down. I'm going to pick it up by the tail. God, you call the shots plan B. And because Moses decided to get involved in God's plan, great things happened. Transformation, impact, and influence happened through the life of Moses, what God wanted for the first place, just like he does with us. And that's encouraging to me, and it should be for you too, because you may be thinking, you know what? I look at my life and my plan and what it's brought me, and it's nothing good, and I'm struggling. And I've been doing it. I've been calling the shots. This is my story. I've been holding it by the head. And you're like, is it too late for me? And I'd say, no. You just got to throw your plan down and pick it up by the tail and let God call the shots. But could it be that we haven't experienced God's plan in our everyday life? Could it be that we haven't experienced that because we're just haven't been ready up until this point? And so this last story, and we'll be done. This lady came up to me, um, gosh, I don't know, about six months ago. And she came up to me because she wanted some advice. And she says, you know what? I, be, I really want to find the right guy. I really want to get married. I really want to date somebody. And I try to find somebody within the church, but it's just not happening. I, I really want to find somebody. I think I found somebody. He's not a follower of Christ, but, but you know what? I just believe that God can fix him, you know? So I'm gonna, I think I'm going to continue to date him, and, and I know that God can do things, and I'm just going to fix him, right? That's, that's my plan. I said, that's, a, that's not a good plan. That's your plan. That's not God's plan. 
And I said, you know what you got to do? And she's like, what? I said, you need to break up with the guy. Why would I want to break up with a guy? I'm trying to find somebody that I can date and find the right guy. And I said, well, that's your plan. That's not God's plan. And, and, and let me just say this. If, if God brought the right guy in the room, he wouldn't even look at you because you're dating somebody. And it's guy code. If, if a guy walks in the room and sees you dating somebody else, at least that's what it should be if you're a gentleman, unless you're a jerk. You come in and see them dating somebody. Well, well they're taken, so I'm not going to pursue that, right? And she's like, okay, I get that. And I said, Besides, if the right guy came in the room and saw you dating that person with all of his problems and and stuff and distance from God, you know what that right guy's going to think about you? Is that you've got all this stuff and all these problems and this distance from God. And he's not going to pursue you. And I said, what kind of guy do you want? She said, I want a guy who loves Jesus and is passionate about him, just on fire for him. That's what I want. And I said, well, is that you? And she said, No. And I said, well, God brought the right guy in the room. You know what kind of woman he's looking for? Someone who loves Jesus, who's on fire for Jesus, and just wants to serve Jesus. And if that's, you, if that's not you, she's, he's not going to pursue you. The best thing that God can do for you right now is not bring that guy in the room because you're not ready. You need to make your life ready. And if you'd say this morning, I just haven't seen God do things in my life. And maybe it's because you haven't experienced that because up until this point, you haven't been ready because up until this point, you've been too busy with your plan. And until you're willing to throw your plan down and let God be in charge, that's when your story changes. Can we pray together? Lord, just thank you so much for all the blessings that you've given us. I thank you for the plan that you have in store for every single one of us. And I pray right now, God, that you will speak to hearts and lives this morning and reveal your plan to them. We stay in this attitude of prayer and eyes are closed and heads are bowed. Can I just encourage you with one thing? You know, when it comes to God's plan and, and what he has in store for each and every single one of us, God's plan never even starts until you've entered a relationship with him. Until then, that plan will never happen. What God has in store for you will never happen. It all starts with having a relationship with God first. And to get that relationship with God, it was made possible by God sending his only son, Jesus Christ to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, to pay for our disobedience, to pay that penalty so that we could be forgiven and made right in the eyes of God, that it's only through belief in Jesus and what he's done, asking him to be our forgiver, asking him to be our leader, that it's only through that that we can have a relationship with God and God's plan for our life can begin. So if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, Nick, I've never made that decision. I know about God. I know about Jesus, but I've never asked Jesus to be my forgiver and needing that forgiveness of my disobedience and needing him to be the leader of my life. I've never done that, but I want to experience God's plan for my life. If that's you, can I encourage you right now as you're in your seat to make that decision, to tell God, God, I I know that you love me and that you have a plan for my life. I believe that, and I know that you want a relationship with me, and and I believe that you sent your son, Jesus. And and ask him right now, ask, ask him, ask Jesus to be your forgiver. Ask him to forgive you for your disobedience, and ask Jesus to be the leader of your life, to say, I don't want to control it anymore. It's your plan, not mine. I want to follow you. And if you're here this morning and you made that decision and you asked him to be your forgiver and the leader of your life today, 
with eyes closed and heads bowed. I'm not going to call anybody out, but the Bible tells us if we make a decision like that, that we need to profess that so it can be celebrated. So if that's you this morning, that you say, yes, Nick, I ask Christ to be my forgiver and leader. No one's looking around. Would you just say, that's me, and raise your hand if you made that decision this morning. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. You can put it down. Anybody else say, yes, I made that decision. Ask Christ to be my forgiver and leader. Awesome. Can I encourage you Christians to put your plan down and pursue his? God, we love you, and we thank you for all the decisions that have been made this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen.